Section 5 of Omega the Last Days of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Omega the Last Days of the World by Camille Flammarion. Part 2. Chapter 4. Part 2. I need inform no one here that the atmosphere we breathe is composed of 79% of nitrogen and 20% of oxygen, and that of the remaining 1%, about half is aqueous vapor, and 3 ten thousandth is carbonic acid, the remainder being ozone or electrified oxygen, ammonia, hydrogen, and a few other gases, in exceedingly small quantities. Nitrogen and oxygen then form 99% of the atmosphere and the vapor of water one half the remainder but gentlemen from the point of view of vegetable and animal life this half of one percent of aqueous vapor is of supreme importance and so far as temperature and climate are concerned i do not hesitate to assert that it is more essential than all the rest of the atmosphere the heat waves coming from the sun to the earth which warm the soil and are thence returned and scattered through the atmosphere into space in their passage through the air meet with the oxygen and nitrogen atoms and with the molecules of aqueous vapor these molecules are so thinly scattered for they occupy but the hundredth part of the space occupied by the others that one might infer that the retention of any heat whatever is due rather to the nitrogen and oxygen than to the aqueous vapor indeed if we consider the atoms alone we find two hundred oxygen and nitrogen atoms for one of aqueous vapor well this one atom has eighty times more energy more effective power to retain radiant heat than the two hundred others consequently a molecule of the vapor of water is sixteen thousand times more effective than a molecule of dry air in absorbing and in radiating heat for these two properties are reciprocally proportional to diminish by any great amount the number of these invisible molecules of the vapor of water is to immediately render the earth uninhabitable notwithstanding its oxygen even the equatorial and tropical regions will suddenly lose their heat and will be condemned to the cold of mountain summits covered with perpetual snow and frost in place of luxurious plants of flowers and fruits of birds and nests of the life which swarms in the sea and upon the land instead of murmuring brooks and limpid rivers of lakes and seas we shall be surrounded only by ice in the midst of a vast desert and when i say we gentlemen you understand we shall not linger long as witnesses for the very blood would freeze in our veins and arteries and every human heart would soon cease to beat such would be the consequences of the suppression of this half hundredth part of aqueous vapor which disseminated through the atmosphere beneficently protects and preserves all terrestrial life as in a hothouse the principles of thermodynamics prove that the temperature of space is two hundred and seventy three degrees below zero and this gentlemen is the more than glacial cold in which our planet will sleep 
when it shall have lost this airy garment in whose sheltering warmth it is today enwrapped such is the fate with which the gradual loss of the earth's water threatens the world and this death by cold will be inevitably ours if our earthly sojourn is long enough the end is all the more certain because not only the aqueous vapor is diminishing but also the oxygen and nitrogen in brief the entire atmosphere little by little the oxygen becomes fixed in the various oxides which are constantly forming on the earth's surface this is the case also with the nitrogen which disappears in the soil and vegetation never wholly regaining a gaseous state and the atmosphere penetrates by its weight into the land and sea descending into subterranean depths little by little from century to century it grows less once as for example in the early primary period it was of vast extent the earth was almost wholly covered by water only the first granite upheave broke the surface of the universal ocean and the atmosphere was saturated with a quantity of aqueous vapor immeasurably greater than it now holds this is the explanation of the high temperature of those bygone days when the tropical plants of our time the tree ferns such as the calamites the equacetacea the sigillaria and the lepidodendrum flourished as luxuriously at the poles as at the equator today both the atmosphere and the aqueous vapor have considerably diminished in amount in the future they are destined to disappear jupiter which is still in its primary period possesses an immense atmosphere full of vapors the moon does not appear to have any at all so that the temperature is always below the freezing point even in the sunlight and the atmosphere of mars is sensibly rarer than ours as to the time which must elapse before this rain of cold caused by the diminution of the aqueous atmosphere which surrounds the globe i would also adopt the period of ten million years as estimated by the speaker who preceded me such ladies are the stages of world life which nature seems to have marked out at least for the planetary system to which we belong i conclude therefore that the fate of the earth will be the same as that of the moon and that when it loses the airy garment which now guarantees it against the loss of the heat received from the sun it will perish with cold at this point the chancellor of the colombian academy who had come that very day from bogota by an electric airship to participate in the discussion requested permission to speak it was known that he had founded on the very equator itself at an enormous altitude an observatory overlooking the entire planet from which one might see both the celestial poles at the same time and which he had named in honor of a french astronomer who had devoted his whole life to making known his favorite science and to establishing its great philosophical importance he was received with marked sympathy and attention gentlemen he said on reaching the desk in these two sessions we have had an admirable resume of the curious theories which modern science is in a position to offer us upon the various ways in which our world may come to an end the burning of the atmosphere or suffocation caused by the shock of the rapidly approaching comet the submergence of the continents in the far future beneath the sea the drying up of the earth as a result of the gradual loss of its water and finally the freezing of our unhappy planet 
grown old as the decaying and frozen moon. Here, if I mistake not, are five distinct possible ends. The director of the observatory has announced that he does not believe in the first two, and that in his opinion a collision with the comet will have only insignificant results. I agree with him in every respect, and I now wish to add, after listening attentively to the learned addresses of my distinguished colleagues, that I do not believe in the other three either. Ladies, continued the Columbian astronomer, you know as well as we do that nothing is eternal. In the bosom of nature all is change. The buds of the spring burst into flowers, the flowers in their turn become fruit, the generations succeed each other, and life accomplishes its mission. So the world which we inhabit will have its end as it had its beginning, but neither the comet nor water, nor the lack of water, are to cause its death agony. To my mind the whole question hangs upon a single word in the closing sentence of the very remarkable address which has just been made by our gracious colleague, the President of the Physical Society. The sun. Yes, here is the key to the whole problem. Terrestrial life depends upon its rays. I say depends upon them. Life is a form of solar energy. It is the sun which maintains the water in a liquid state, and the atmosphere in a gaseous one. Without it all would be solid and lifeless. It is the sun which draws water from the sea, the lakes, the rivers, the moist soil, which forms the clouds and sets the air in motion, which produces rain and controls the fruitful circulation of the water, thanks to the solar light and heat. The plants assimilate the carbon contained in the carbonic acid of the atmosphere, and in separating the oxygen from the carbon and appropriating the latter, the plant performs a great work. To this conversion of solar into vital energy, as well as to the shade of the thick-leaved trees, is due to the freshness of the forests. The wood which blazes on our hearthstones does but render up to us its store of solar heat. And when we consume gas or coal today, we are only setting free the rays imprisoned millions of years ago in the forests of the primary age. Electricity itself is but a form of energy whose original source is the sun. It is, then, the sun which murmurs in the brook, which whispers in the wind, which moans in the tempest, which blossoms in the rose, which trills in the throat of the nightingale, which gleams in the lightning, which thunders in the storm, which sings or wails in the vast symphony of nature. Thus the solar heat is changed into air or water currents, into the expansive forces of gases and vapors, into electricity, into woods, flowers, fruits, and muscular energy. So long as this brilliant star supplies us with sufficient heat, the continuance of the world and of life is assured. The probable cause of the heat of the sun is the condensation of the nebula in which this central body of our system had its origin. This conversion of mechanical energy must have produced 28 million degrees centigrade. You know, gentlemen, that a kilogram of coal falling from an infinite distance to the sun would produce by its impact 6,000 times more heat than by its combustion. 
at the present rate of radiation this supply of heat accounts for the emission of thermal energy for a period of twenty two million years and it is probable that the sun has been burning far longer for there is nothing to prove that the elements of the nebula were absolutely cold on the contrary they themselves were originally a source of heat the temperature of this great day star does not seem to have fallen any for its condensation is still going on and it may make good the loss by radiation nevertheless everything has an end if at some future stage of condensation the sun's density should equal that of the earth this condensation would yield a fresh amount of heat sufficient to maintain for seventeen million years the same temperature which now sustains terrestrial life and this period may be prolonged if we admit a diminution in the rate of radiation a fall of meteorites or a further condensation resulting in a density greater than that of the earth but however far we put off the end it must come at last the suns which are extinguished in the heavens offer so many examples of the fate reserved for our own luminary and in certain years such tokens of death are numerous but in that long period of seventeen or twenty million years or more who can say what the marvellous power of adaptation which physiology and paleontology have revealed in every variety of animal and vegetable life may not do for humanity leading it step by step to a state of physical and intellectual perfection as far above ours as ours is above that of the iguanodon the stegosaurus and the compsognathus who can say that our fossil remains will not appear to our successors as monstrous as those of the dinosaurus perhaps the stability of temperature of that future time may make it seem doubtful whether any really intelligent race could have existed in an epoch subjected as ours is to such erratic variations of temperature to the capricious changes of weather which characterize our seasons and who knows if before that time some immense cataclysm some general change may not bury the past in new geological strata and inaugurate new periods quinquennial sexsennial differing totally from the preceding ones one thing is certain that the sun will finally lose its heat it is condensing and contracting and its fluidity is decreasing the time will come when the circulation which now supplies the photosphere and makes the central mass a reservoir of radiant energy will be obstructed and will slacken the radiation of heat and light will then diminish and vegetable and animal life will be more and more restricted to the earth's equatorial regions and when this circulation shall have ceased the brilliant photosphere will be replaced by a dark opaque crust which will prevent all luminous radiation the sun will become a dark red ball then a black one and night will be perpetual the moon which shines only by reflection will no longer illumine the lonely nights our planet will receive no light but that of the stars the solar heat having vanished the atmosphere will remain undisturbed and an absolute calm unbroken by any breath of air will reign if the oceans still exist they will be frozen ones 
no evaporation will form clouds no rain will fall no stream will flow perhaps as has been observed in the case of stars on the eve of extinction some last flare of the expiring torch some accidental development of heat due to the falling in of the sun's crust will give us back for a while the old-time sun but this will only be the precursor of the end and the earth a dark ball a frozen tomb will continue to revolve around the black sun traveling through an endless night and hurrying away with all the solar system into the abyss of space it is to the extinction of the sun that the earth will owe its death twenty perhaps forty million years hence the speaker ceased and was about to leave the platform when the director of the academy of fine arts begged to be heard gentlemen he said from his chair if i have understood rightly the end of the world will in any case result from cold and only several million years hence if then a painter should endeavor to represent the last day he ought to shroud the earth in ice and cover it with skeletons not exactly replied the Colombian Chancellor it is not cold which produces glaciers it is heat if the Sun did not evaporate the sea water there would be no clouds and but for the Sun there would be no wind for the formation of glaciers a Sun is necessary to vaporize the water and to transport it in clouds and then to condense it every kilogram of vapor formed represents a quantity of solar heat sufficient to raise five kilograms of cast iron to its fusing point eleven hundred degrees by lessening the intensity of the sun's action we exhaust the glacier supply so that is not the snow nor the glaciers which will cover the earth but the frozen remnant of the sea for a long time previously streams and rivers will have ceased to exist and every atmospheric current will have disappeared unless indeed before giving up the ghost the sun shall have passed through one of those spasms to which we referred a moment ago shall have released the ice from sleep and have produced new clouds and aerial currents reawakened the springs the brooks and the rivers and after this momentary but deceitful awakening shall have fallen back again into lethargy that day will have no morrow another voice that of a celebrated electrician was heard from the center of the hemicycle all these theories of death by cold he observed are plausible but the end of the world by fire this has been referred to only in connection with the comet it may happen otherwise setting aside a possible sinking of the continents into the central fire brought about by an earthquake on a large scale or some widespread dislocation of the earth's crust it seems to me that without any collision a superior will might arrest our planet midway in its course and transform its motion into heat a will interrupted another voice but positive science does not admit the possibility of miracles in nature nor i either replied the electrician when i say will i mean an ideal invisible force let me explain the earth is flying through space with a velocity of one hundred six thousand kilometers per hour or twenty nine thousand four hundred sixty meters per second if some star active or extinct should emerge from space so as to form with the sun a sort of electrodynamic couple with our planet on its axis acting upon it like a brake 
if in a word for any reason the earth should be suddenly arrested in its orbit its mechanical energy would be changed into molecular motion and its temperature would be suddenly raised to such a degree as to reduce it entirely to a gaseous state gentlemen said the director of the mount blanc observatory from his chair the earth might perish by fire in still another manner we have lately seen in the sky a temporary star which in a few weeks passed from the sixteenth to the fourth magnitude this distant sun had suddenly become fifty thousand times hotter and more luminous if such a fate should overtake our sun nothing living would be left upon our planet it is probable from the study of the spectrum of the light emitted by this burning star that the cause of this sudden conflagration was the entrance of this sun and its system into some kind of nebula our own sun is traveling with a frightful velocity in the direction of the constellation of hercules and may very well some day encounter an obstacle of this nature to resume continued the director of the paris observatory after all we have just now heard we see that our planet will be at a loss to choose among so many modes of death i have as little fear now as before of any danger from the present comet but it must be confessed that solely from the point of view of the astronomer this poor wandering earth is exposed to more than one peril the child born into this world and destined to reach the age of maturity may be compared to a person stationed at the entrance to a narrow street one of those picturesque streets of the sixteenth century lined with houses and whose every window is a marksman armed with a good weapon of the latest model this person must traverse the entire length of the street without being stricken down by the weapons leveled upon him at close range every disease which lies in wait and threatens us is on hand dentition convulsion croup meningitis measles smallpox typhoid fever pneumonia enteritis brain fever heart disease consumption diabetes apoplexy cholera influenza etc etc for we omit many and our hearers will have no difficulty in supplementing this off-hand enumeration will our unhappy traveller reach the end of the street safe and sound if he does it will only be to die just the same thus our planet pursues its way along its heavenly path with a speed of more than one hundred thousand kilometers per hour and at the same time the sun hurries it on with all the planets toward the constellation of hercules recapitulating what has just been said and allowing for what may have been omitted it may meet a comet ten or twenty times larger than itself composed of deleterious gases which would render the atmosphere irrespirable it may encounter a swarm of uranolites which would have upon it the effect of a charge of shot upon a meadow-lark it may meet in its path an invisible sun much larger than itself whose shock would reduce it to vapor it may encounter a sun which would consume it in the twinkling of an eye as a furnace would consume an apple thrown into it it may be caught in a system of electric forces which would act like a brick upon its eleven motions and which would either melt it or set it afire like a platinum wire in a strong current it may lose the oxygen which supports life it may be blown up like the crust over a crater it may collapse in some great earthquake 
its dry land may disappear in a second deluge more universal than the first it may on the contrary lose all its water an element essential to its organic life under the attraction of some passing body it may be detached from the sun and carried away into the cold of stellar space it may part not only with the last vestige of its internal heat which long since has ceased to have any influence upon its surface but also with a protecting envelope which maintains the temperature necessary to life one of these days when the sun has grown dark and cold it may be neither lighted nor warmed nor fertilized on the other hand it may be suddenly scorched by an outburst of heat analogous to what has been observed in temporary stars not to speak of many other sources of accidents and mortal peril whose easy enumeration we leave to the geologists paleontologists meteorologists physicists chemists biologists physicians botanists and even to the veterinary surgeons inasmuch as the arrival of an army of invisible microbes if they be but deadly enough or a well-established epidemic would suffice to destroy the human race and the principal animal and vegetable species without working the least harm to the planet itself from a strictly astronomical point of view just as the speaker was uttering these last words a voice which seemed to come from a distance fell as it were from the ceiling overhead but a few words of explanation may here perhaps be desirable as we have said the observatories established on the higher mountains of the globe were connected by telephone with the observatory of paris and the sender of the message could be heard at a distance from the receiver without being obliged to apply any apparatus directly to the ear the reader doubtless recollects that at the close of the preceding session a phonogram from mount gorasankar stated that a photophonic message which would be at once deciphered had been received from the inhabitants of mars as the translation of the cipher had not arrived at the opening of the evening session the bureau of communications had connected the institute with the observatory by suspending a telephonoscope from the dome of the amphitheater the voice from above said the astronomers of the equatorial city of mars warn that the inhabitants of the earth that the comet is moving directly toward the earth with a velocity nearly double that of the orbital velocity of mars mechanical motion to be transformed into heat and heat into electrical energy terrible magnetic storms move away from italy the voice ceased amid general silence and consternation there were however a few skeptics left one of whom the editor of the la libre critique raised his monocle to his right eye and risen from the reporter's desk and exclaimed in a penetrating voice i am afraid that the venerable doctors of the institute are the victims of a huge joke no one can ever persuade me that the inhabitants of mars admitting that there are any and they have really sent us a warning know italy by name i doubt very much if one of them ever heard of the commentaries of caesar or the history of the pope especially as the orator who was launching into an interesting dithyrambus was at this point suddenly squelched by the turning off of the electric lights with the exception of the illuminated square in the ceiling the room was plunged into darkness and the voice added these six words 
this is the dispatch from mars and thereupon the following symbols appeared on the plate of the telephonoscope as this picture could only be seen by holding the head in a very fatiguing position the president touched a bell and an assistant appeared who by means of a projector and mirror transferred these hieroglyphics to a screen on the wall behind the desk so that everyone could readily see and analyze them at their leisure their interpretation was easy nothing indeed could be more simple the figure representing the comet needed no explanation the arrow indicates the motion of the comet towards a heavenly body which as seen from mars presents phases and sparkles like a star this means the earth naturally so delineated by the martians for their eyes developed in a medium less luminous than ours are somewhat more sensitive and distinguish the phases of the earth and this the more readily because their atmosphere is rarer and more transparent for us the phases of venus are just on the limit of visibility the double globe represents mars looking at the kaiser sea the most characteristic feature of martian geography and indicates a velocity for the comet double the orbital velocity or a little less for the line does not quite reach the edge the flames indicate the transformation of motion into heat the aurora borealis and the lightning which follow the transformation into electric and magnetic force and finally we recognize the boot of italy visible from mars and the black spot marked the locality threatened according to their calculation by one of the most dangerous fragments of the head of the comet while the four arrows radiating in the direction of the four cardinal points of the compass seem to counsel removal from the point menaced the photophonic message from the martians was much longer and far more complicated the astronomers on mount garasankar had previously received several such and had discovered that they were sent from a very important intellectual and scientific center situated in the equatorial zone not far from meridian bay the last message whose general meaning is given above was the most important the remainder of it had not been transmitted as it was obscure and it was not certain that its exact meaning had been made out the president rang his bell for order he was about to sum up what had been said before adjourning the meeting gentlemen he began though it is after midnight it will be of interest before we separate to summarize what has been told us in these two solemn sessions the last dispatch from gorosanker may well impress you it seems clear that the inhabitants of mars are farther advanced in science than ourselves and this is not surprising for they are a far older race and have had centuries innumerable in which to achieve this progress moreover they may be much more highly organized than we are they may possess better eyes instruments of greater perfection and intellectual faculties of a higher order we observe too that their calculations while in accord with ours as to the collision are more precise for they designate the very point which is to receive the greatest shock the advice to flee from italy should therefore be followed and i shall at once telephone the pope who at this very moment is assembling the prelates of entire christendom so the comet will collide with the earth and no one can yet foresee the consequences but in all probability the disturbance will be local and the world will not be destroyed 
the carbonic oxide is not likely to penetrate the respirable portions of the atmosphere but there will be an enormous development of heat as to the veritable end of the world of all the hypotheses which today permit us to forecast that event the most probable is the last that explained to us by the learned chancellor of the Columbian Academy the life of the planet depends upon the Sun so long as the Sun shines humanity is safe unless indeed the diminution of the atmosphere and aqueous vapor should usher in before that time the reign of cold in the former case we have yet before us twenty million years of life in the latter only ten let us then await the night of july thirteenth fourteenth without despair i advise those who can to pass these fate days in chicago or better still in san francisco honolulu or Numea. the transatlantic electric airships are so numerous and well managed that millions of travelers may make the journey before saturday night end of chapter four